Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 57 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a quick reminder, you can find detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 57. So if you have a healthcare background, or if you're at least actively interested in the medical industry, and if you have a knack for explaining complex topics or products in simple language, I think you're really going to get a ton out of today's episode. My guest is medical device copywriting veteran Casey Demchek. And in this interview, Casey is going to spill the beans about this fascinating field of commercial writing and copywriting. He's going to explain what's involved in medical device copywriting and writing. He's going to talk about what types of writing projects are in demand, who the best clients are, what these clients look for in a writer, and even how you can break into this market in this niche, even if you have limited or even zero industry experience. Casey's also going to share his thoughts on having multiple specialties or multiple target markets and how he juggles seemingly unrelated niches. That's exactly where he is today. He's got a very unique set of target markets and specialties and he's juggled this better than probably anybody else I've seen. So even if the medical device industry thing is not quite as interesting to you, I do encourage you to listen to the show because you'll walk away with some great ideas if you're in a position where you're considering unrelated fields to focus on. So enough about that. Let's get right to the interview. Hey, Casey, welcome to the podcast, man. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Ed. It's great to be here. So you and I met, uh, gosh, a, f- a few weeks ago at a at a conference, and we struck up a conversation about the medical device industry, and um, you know, just really intrigued by what you had to say and, and the the opportunities in that market. And I, you know, I really wanted to bring you on to to talk a little bit more about that. So, uh, folks who have uh, have thought about uh, this industry or would consider something like this could kind of get a flavor for for what's what's available, uh, you know what uh, what you like, don't like, and so forth. So it's um, it's great to to have this open discussion um, and get into a little bit more detail about it. Great, let's do it. So let's. I always start by asking people, you know, t- tell me about yourself. Tell me a little bit about your your writing business. Um, give me give me a little bit of history here. Well. Well, Ed, I started my independent copywriting business 14 years ago. I uh, actually, if you go way back into my 20s, I spent my 20s going to film school and running around Hollywood with screenplays, and I was a story analyst for a while. And when I got to be around 30, my big screenwriting career wasn't taken off the way I wanted to. So I started reading my uh, my junk mail one day, and I thought, God, they probably pay people to write this stuff. And then like. A lot of people back then, I went to the bookstore and picked up a couple of uh, Bob Bly's books, you know, the copywriter handbook. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, at the time, I, you know, so I started learning about copywriting. And at the time, I was working for, I was working at night as a computer operator. And I knew the owner of the company very well. And I went to him and said, you know, can I write some uh, marketing pieces for your business to build a little portfolio for myself? And he was really open to that. And put the portfolio together, and that led by chance me being hired by a healthcare company to write business proposals and some marketing materials. It could have been a dog food company or any other company. It just happened to be healthcare. But they, they contacted you out of the blue? No, I just started applying for copywriting jobs, okay. in-house copywriting jobs. Okay. And uh, this was in Newport Beach, California. And I worked that job for a couple of years. Then I saw an opening at a medical device company as senior copywriter in Santa Barbara, California, which is close to where I grew up. So I got hired at that job and they had three very distinct medical divisions, plastic surgery products, 
urology products and ophthalmology products. So as the in-house copywriter, I was able to get uh, very extensive medical copywriting experience um, in those three areas. And as people started leaving the company and taking jobs at other places, I would get calls to do, you know, moonlighting at night or weekend work for uh, their companies who were e even other in other market segments like back implants, spinal implants and uh, products like that. So after five years in that job, I, I went freelance. They didn't. Rep I, I lived about a half mile away from Mentor Corporation where I was working and I set it up so that when I quit, they didn't replace me. My marketing communications manager and all the product managers just said, you know, go ahead and quit. We'll hire you as a freelancer. So I just basically got to do the same job and stay across the street in my shorts. <laughs> so and, what, uh, what was the motivation for, for going solo? You know, I was raised by an entrepreneur and always wanted to have my own business. And when I was working at this company, I had a, a manager above me, a marketing communications manager. And, and, and people wanted to work directly with me and not have to run projects through her, you know, some in-house politics stuff. So I just went around to all the groups and said, you know, if I go solo, would you still hire me? Plus, I had started getting freelance work from people who had left Mentor and went to other companies. So I was working at nights and weekends on freelance stuff. I knew I could probably make Mentor a client. And, you know, I wanted to have my own business. So that it was just something in me, you know, that I had the entrepreneurial bug in me from the way I was raised. And it's just what I wanted to do. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, and you had enough momentum, you had clients, and it, you saw it as a real possibility as something you could definitely succeed in. It didn't feel like a huge risk. No, I planned for it very, very well. I planned it uh, a couple of years in advance. And again, those Bob Bly books, the copywriter handbook and how to make $85,000 a year as a freelancer, that book, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I read both those books 50 times and highlighted and folded pages and just planned and planned and planned. I even to tell you a funny story. I knew about six months ahead of time I was going to quit my job. And every day I'd go to the office supply shack, you know, and I would take one item home, a <laughs> sticky pad note, a ream of paper, staples. And uh, actually when I gave notice and went full-time freelance my bedroom was half of my bed it was like a bed and the other half of the room was <laughs> office supplies so i really played it well <laughs> gotcha gotcha okay okay so this is methodical now what, what i find interesting is that um you were getting work on the side it sounds like a lot of it was just coming your way as a moonlighting uh freelancer correct yeah because when i took the job at mentor they told me the very first day, we've never had a, an in-house copywriter. So all the marketing people in the three marketing divisions, they have the option of using you or they can keep using freelancers. Well, it didn't take me long to figure out, well, if they don't use me, I'm not going to have this job very long. So even though I was in-house copywriter, really that's when I started my business. I had to go around to the divisions, form relationships, get people to like me so they'd want to work with me. Yeah. So it was really the whole time I was there, I was pretty much, you know, kind of running my own little business. I had really had to operate like a freelancer within the company. And then as people left, like I said, they liked working with me. So they would call me up and say, you know, hey, Casey, I've switched jobs. We need some copywriting. Could you help us too? I love it when my clients switch jobs. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it, it it can lead to, I mean, that's how I get a lot of business now too, is, is I just got a new client in January who's given me a lot of work and it was somebody who switched jobs. And now she's, she switched jobs. So one person, she's sending me work, but she's the director of communications. So she has like three or four product managers under her who are also sending me work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really blossom that way. It sounds like it's a very uh, incestuous industry. People stay in the industry. They just move around a lot. And every time they move around, there's a high chance that you'll get a new client, but keep the old one many times. Yeah. And the other thing about the medical device industry, too, even though as a whole, the medical device industry is extremely large, it's really divided up into segments that are relatively small. For example, the plastic surgery market is you know 
you're dealing with just a handful of companies who deal with uh, the same plastic surgeons. You know, the urology segment is pretty, pretty narrow and focused, um, as is, you know, ophthalmology. So you're, you're really dig- dealing with a lot of smaller segments within a great big market. Gotcha. Well, well, let's let's go there. Let's start talking a little bit about this industry and some of the specifics. Um, first, I mean, just so everyone's on the same page, when we're talking about medical devices, give us some examples. What specifically are we talking about? Well, you know, again, I'll, I'll be real upfront. Some of the ones I've written about, um, I've written a lot about breast implants, liposuction devices, penile implants, catheters. Uh, spinal implants, uh, devices that are involved in kidney dialysis, cataract lenses. Um, I'm writing a lot about uh, ultrasound equipment right now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of uh, devices, some of them are for, you know, I mean, medical devices, you're dealing with personal problems, people's health problems. So some of the devices deal with very sensitive areas of the body. You have to get used to that. Also, when you're learning about the products, they're typically going to give you, you know, they give you background material to learn. You're going to be watching surgical videos, which you have to get used to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and some of the products I just mentioned, you can imagine what it's like watching the surgical video. I don't know, but that's the first thing I thought of when you said that. I was like, oh, man. So, so there's, it seems like there's, a, there's kind of an overlap sometimes. So you mentioned devices, but I also heard some equipment there as well. So they kind of blur the lines are a little blurred sometimes. Yeah, because you know, like the ultrasound pieces equipment, the stuff I've written for um, dialysis is equipment, but then you have implantable devices that go into, into the body. The other offshoot is that companies who create medical devices these days have programs that are, uh, reach directly to the consumers. They call them DTC programs, direct to consumer. I'll give you an example in the in the breast implant area. You know, I write for companies. There's only a few companies that make that product. They sell directly to plastic surgeons. However, the, the manufacturers also have outreach programs to consumers. So when the consumer goes in to, to talk to the plastic surgeon, they request a particular product from a particular company. So within the medical area, I've also been hired to write a lot of patient education guides mm-hmm. and also a lot I've, I've written for some of their consumer websites. So that's kind of a neat little offshoot of being, writing B2B copy for medical device industry. Sure. And I see it tr- also with drugs, right? Uh, you know, ask your doctor about, you know, yeah. XYZ drug. They're doing the same thing, right? Planting that drug- seed so that the consumer will go to the doctor and say, listen, what about this drug? Yeah, and the reason they do that is because when new technologies come out or new medical devices, you would think doctors and surgeons automatically gravitate to the newer technology that they can offer their patients, but a lot of them don't. So a lot of patients are not given their full range of options because there's, let's say, dealing with a a urologist who doesn't want to use the new medical device because he then has to learn the surgical technique that goes with it. Gotcha. So instead of if he's not doesn't want yeah I don't feel like learning the new stuff he won't even tell his patients about it. That's why the device co- companies go directly to the consumers to raise their awareness of these devices. So if they go to their let's say their urologist and the urologist isn't familiar with the product, they can go somewhere else. Yeah, it, it's it's an unsettling moment sometimes when you're sitting there in the doctor's office and he's googling something. <laughs> oh, it, 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 it's worse. Than it happened that. to me yesterday, by the way. It's, uh, I'm sitting there, and the, I was uh, seeing an ophthalmologist, and um, he had to look something up. And you know, he didn't realize I was looking, but yeah, it's, he's he's looking, he's looking it up. It's worse than that. I mean, it's um, when new devices come out, the surgeons, like I said, have to go through surgical training. When I worked at Mentor on staff, I worked with you know product man on staff product managers all the time. There were many, many, many times where I'd be in a meeting with a product manager, their phone would ring, and it's a surgeon who is in surgery with the patient laid out on the table, 
they're inserting the device and they're talking to the product manager like, okay, now the tab thing had to go which way? And they're actually on the phone with product managers during surgery. Or a lot of times the, uh, the sales guys go who in the field will sometimes be in the surgery with the surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. I have, some, yeah. I have a friend who's, uh, who's in uh, sales, uh, uh, let's see, surgical staples. And, uh, he goes, he's in the surgery all the time and he's actually there with the surgeon mm -hmm. pretty much kind of guiding in, in there yeah. is support, which is pretty scary knowing what I know about this guy <laughs> and some of the things we did, uh, you know, in our, in our early twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, okay. So, so t tell me a little bit about the, you know, you mentioned one of them in terms of writing projects, you know, sometimes you're. It's uh, education for consumers. Give me a, a better idea also of what other types of, of writing projects uh, are available out there in this industry or common. You know, in, in, in looking at it from a B2B perspective, you have the full range of projects you have with a lot of industries. You have, you know, still a lot of traditional print materials, lead generation brochures, sales sheets, um, print ads because you know every industry has medical journals so there's still a lot of print ads and then you also got a full range of digital stuff and you know a lot of website pages landing pages e-blast campaigns blogs e-newsletter articles video scripts you know a lot of the general materials that you know you would find you know if you learn b2b copywriting 101 here's a lot of the materials you typically write you still find that in uh, you know, that's pretty much encompasses what's involved in the medical industry. Well, and it sounds like this is the kind of business where uh, one product alone could could require tons of written material. I mean, oh, from, yeah. from a from a copywriter's or a content writer standpoint. Yeah, yeah, and and another another thing to be aware of in the medical device space, you generally have three categories of writers. You have a B two B copywriter like myself. You have a technical writer. Um, every medical device that goes out has what's called a product insert data sheet that is kind of stuffed in the box that the device comes comes mm -hmm. with. It has a lot of you know risk and complications information, a lot of stuff required by the FDA. So you have technical writers who write that. The third area is what's called medical writers. And what a medical writer is, is they are the person who helps, say, a physician. You know those clinical papers that are in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine? Yeah. Clinical study papers. There's medical writers who help doctors write those kind of papers, which are very detailed and medical. And medical writers typically have PhDs in, say, a biology background or something. Uh-huh. Whereas the B2B copywriter marketing guy might have went to film school and kind of fell into the medical industry. <laughs> <laughs> I love but those it. are the three areas. And sometimes people get, I, I've gotten calls from prospects thinking I was a medical writer and I have to be specific about what I do. So those are kind of the three distinct areas. So what do you call yourself then? A B2B copywriter in the medical device industry? Yeah. Yeah. I also have other, Couple other niches I write in, but yeah, nice crowd. Yeah, I definitely want to ask you about that as well. But in, in terms of the, the the standard terminology, then would be a medical writer is a very specific term in this industry that is describing somebody else. It is. Yeah, okay. I don't call myself a medical writer because that kind of gives the wrong impression. So tell me a little bit about the, the the typical clients in this industry. What what are they like, and what do they look for in a copywriter? The typical clients are, you know, imagine a medical device company that has a marketing communications department. So you would have a marketing communications manager. The marketing communication manager typically works in-house with product managers or brand managers. Um, if, if a medical device company has 10 medical device products, they typically have product managers connected to each of those products. So when you're writing for the medical device industry in, in your client may be the marketing communications manager who is working with various product managers, mm -hmm. or you may be working with the product product managers directly or in any kind of combination with product managers and a marketing communications manager. 
Gotcha. Which Those one would you say? Which one is the most common in your experience? I would say the most common are product managers because above product managers you have directors of marketing, but I would say the most common um, is working directly with product managers. But it's not a big drop down to go to then you know writing for the marketing communications manager. Okay. What do you what do they look for? Because this sounds like the type of industry. It would be very difficult to break into. I mean, you you were in a unique situation in that you were yeah. a staff writer in this industry for a long time before you went out on your own. But let's say that, you know, I I don't know anything about this industry. I write for software. And let's say that I wanted to yeah. kind of break in or, you know, or I'm new. I'm a very good writer, but I'm new. And uh, this industry really intrigues me. You know, what, what challenges do I have? Well, I would say if you are someone who has – a solid background in one industry. Um, I, I mean, because I'm entrepreneurial, so I, there there have been times. Let's say, for example, because you know, I I do write for other B two B niches. Like I, I got a big meeting tomorrow with an oil and gas company. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm writing a big copy platform for them, so they know about my medical device background, and I say something like. Well, I've written, you know, medical devices are very technical products and I've written a lot of good marketing. So I'm based on that experience. I'm certain I could write for oil and gas industry and, the, and, the, and they, or I'm certain I could write for the uh, industrial floor cleaning industry, you know? Yeah. And, and they always say something like, oh, OK. You know, if you show that confidence now, I don't know what writing for the medical device industry has to do at all with the oil and gas industry, but I just say it with confidence and that can open doors. So if you have a lot of, let's say, software writing experience and you've got an opportunity with a medical device company and you're confident you can do it, just kind of say something like I just said, and that can kind of open a door for you. Another thing that could open a door for you is maybe they have writing assignments, you know, like an e-newsletter article or a case study. Um, or blog, something that doesn't involve as much um, medical device knowledge, that could be an entree into that industry. So, you know, kind of just use a little finesse, um, you know, because I ran into this when we were at our conference, you know, a few weeks ago. Somebody said to me, well, I don't have any experience, so what do I have to do to go, you know, to, to break in? They just kind of assume that, they, that since they didn't have medical device writing experience, they would automatically get a no mm-hmm. from me. Or sometimes you can kind of talk your way into it. You know, the, and that's a really good point. The way I like to explain this to, to people who are starting out is like, look, um, think about when you're, let's say you went to college and you're 22 years old, you're just graduating, you're looking for a job. And, you know, you have no relevant work experience. <laughs> you may have worked in retail or for a landscape company, whatever. But here you are, you know, you got Fortune 500 firms looking for, to hire college graduates. And it's the same scenario. You're looking for someone who's willing to give you a chance, just like mm-hmm. a Fortune 500 company might see something in a 22-year-old kid they like, they see promise, and they're willing to give them a chance. So you're not looking to get in the door of anybody. You're just looking for someone who, I don't know, the need is urgent enough. They see something in you. They don't care. They're not as picky. Whatever, right? I mean, that, that's how exactly. I – because you just need to, one door to open. Once you get one door to open, you're in. Right, And because the big thing, a huge thing is, you know, you just covered a lot of great points. And another one is if they like you, if yeah. they like you and want to work with you, you know, because – most of my business, you know, I, nobody has ever said to me, Casey, you're the greatest copywriter alive or it was, we've never seen anything even close to what you've written. But I get a lot of like, hey, you're an easy, we like working with you. You're fun. You're personable. You're easy to work with. You deliver the work on time. If people, you meet with people and you've got pretty, you know, decent samples or whatever, but they like you, that increases your chances quite a bit. You know, if they like you, they'll work with you. If they don't like you, they won't, no matter how much qualifications you have. Yeah. 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 I couldn't you know, agree more. And another thing is to show in the medical device thing area, they they want to work with writers who are not overly emotional. For example, if you turn in a lead generation brochure and they have questions about the headlines, 
Give them the strategic reason you wrote those headlines. Don't come at it from an, an artsy, emotional point of view because they don't like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. they want you to back up. I wrote this because of, you know, this is the strategy I, I was using or something like that. Don't come at it from kind of an arty, emotional point of view. That that really turns them turns them away because a lot of times in medical device, you're dealing with product people who, you know, they have a business background or a marketing background. Um, you don't run into a lot of people who are, you know, painting till two in the morning, let's say they're, they're business marketing people. Cause you know, marketing people tend to have, they either have more of a business slant or a lot of time, more of a creative slant medical device. You tend to work with product people who have a little more of a business slant than the creative background. Interesting. Okay. So another reason to maybe, you know, give it a try, even if, uh, if you don't have direct experience, right? I mean, just like these people um, have more of a business background, you might have a business background, you know, even that might be enough. I'm thinking people who might like my wife's a nurse, for instance, or, well, that's a, yeah. you know, anything like that in the medical industry, even though it wasn't writing about the stuff, or let's say you have a, a degree in biology or, you know, even mm. if it's been, if it's been 30 years, it doesn't really matter, right? You have something there uh, or even, you know, but, but you made a great point. You don't even have to have any of those things necessarily yeah yeah but if you do have something a little nugget like that or i've talked to people you know like like you said you've got this software background and you've got you know good samples but your wife's a nurse you use that you know yet we you know we sit around eating dinner all the time we're always talking about medical stuff you know just if you've got a connection like that you know, leverage it. Oh gosh. You know, I got hired, uh, last year. This is just a, I've taken on some kind of offbeat clients that are outside of the software arena, uh, sometimes just for fun because the project sounds interesting or, or the opportunity just comes at the right time, but it was a credit union of all, of all things. And you know what, one of the things that they, they, one of the reasons they chose me, um, is the fact that my wife, not, not even me, my wife banks at a credit union. Yeah. You know, it, that was really important to them, that the, the fact that she banks at a credit union and I bank somewhere that's kind of like a credit union, but not quite. But just even one degree of separation, mm -hmm. the, the fact that I had someone in the house <laughs> who, yeah. who got them, that was important to them. No, that's a great point. You, you have anything like that. Think of any little thing you can leverage. Um you know, like I said earlier, a, a lot of newer copywriters, they make a mistake sometime of assuming they're going to get a no. You know, if you approach 200 medical device companies and you, know, you build that power list that you want to contact, don't assume a no just because you don't have the experience. Think of some way you can, you know, kick open the door using some of the techniques we've talked about. A lot of it comes down to your personality and persistence and having a little entrepreneurial moxie goes a long way. So before we move on to kind of a, another line of questioning, I was curious because you didn't mention white papers is one of the, the things that um, be right, but is, is, do they put, put out white papers? Oh yeah. Lots of white papers and case studies. Okay. Yeah. So that would be definitely an area. Well, lots, I mean, every product has white papers because the big thing in medical device writing is substantiation. If you write for a new medical device and you're writing lead generation brochures or website papers or whatever, um, all your marketing claims have to be substantiated by clinical evidence. You so, know, yeah. So, so <laughs> clinical evidence, just when they have the evidence or the facts, that just breeds a white paper. Gotcha. So definitely white papers and case studies. And those audiences will typically be, you know, doctors or medical professionals. Yeah, because the thing about the medical device industry, too, you know, I was talking about the different segments, mm -hmm. different uh, segments have different um, things that stimulate them. For example, plastic surgeons think of themselves as artists with the body. Nephrologists who do kidney dialysis, they're really motivated by statistics. Mm -hmm. Urologists tend to be a bunch of guys and you can you can kind of be guysy with them, you know, you kind of, um, if you're writing about prostate cancer treatment options, let's say a patient guide, 
it's going to be read by a woman who's going to force the guy to go to the So you've got B2B people who may be medical device, but other industries as well. And by contacts through them, I stumble into other B2B copywriting assignments. You know, like this oil and gas one. I, I know some people who do, I, I know this guy who runs an agency and he does a lot of B2B work for different industries. His focus is B2B. And he called me up and say, hey, we've got this client, oil and gas client. And they need a lot of messaging done. You know, we just want to tell you, set you guys up. You can work directly. Mm-hmm. So that came about by me being involved in my local BMA chapter. So, and like I said, there's a lot of industries that are involved in BMA, but they're all B2B. And by being involved with them, with them I don't market to those companies. I don't have mailing lists and stuff. I just kind of, by being involved with that group and networking, I tend to stumble into, you know, many assignments every year just by using that approach. My marketing is focused when I, my active marketing is focused at uh, medical device, author, speakers, coaches, and I stumble into other B2B work. So let, let me recap and see if this makes yeah. sense. What, I, what I'm hearing is that, um, you know, look, if, if medical devices was all you wanted to do and you were, you were very sure about this. Um, it wouldn't be a bad idea necessarily to make your website very, very focused in that area right now. But at the same time, you have to understand that you probably wouldn't get a lot, if any, leads or interest or inquiries from prospects outside of that industry. Uh, you, because you have, you know, you're doing some very specific networking and some other things, and you're interested in, in different topics. You've chosen to not go as narrow in your website and your positioning. That way, it's open enough where um, you can still field some possibilities and some inquiries that might be of interest to you and then make that determination. However, that's like your inbound marketing. That's your inbound leads. But when it comes to your outbound prospecting, you're very, very focused in very specific areas. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, as Steve Sloan White said, I, mean, we were, I was working with him a few years ago. He had a great line. He said, you know, your your marketing has to be... An inch, wild, uh, an inch wide and a mile deep. It can't be a mile wide and an inch deep, you know? Yeah. So my marketing in the medical device area is an inch wide and a mile deep. And I also do that with authors, speakers, and coaches. And then general B2B, I, like I said, through networking and contacts I've made over the last 15 years, stuff just pops up for me. So, it's so a- you- No, go ahead, Say, if you looked at my website, you know, you can quickly figure out that I do medical authors, speakers, and coaches. And on my copywriting, if you hit that, there's a little drop-down menu and there's three pages. Medical copywriting, author, speakers, coaches, and general B2B. And that's interesting because you've done something that I really haven't seen a lot of people do. Um, You have... 
target markets that are not necessarily complementary, yet yeah. you've been able to make your website work. Because uh, a lot of people, when faced with this dilemma, they'll they'll consider, or some some will even do this, they'll set up different websites because they're just so different. But you've been able to make it work on just one. Yeah, and what I do is uh, like my medical, um, the tab for medical copywriting, I, I optimize that page as much as I can. And I do the same thing with authors, speakers, coaches. And plus, I've got 18 years experience in the medical device area now, 18 years. So I tout that. Um, you know, I, I just decided to do it that way because I've heard all the stuff that you have to have a very narrow focus on your website. And I wasn't comfortable with that. And I really didn't want to do that. I didn't want to just write, uh, you know, I figure for when I approach medical device, it's a big thing that I can say 18 years and I've got just buku samples to show people. And when I start talking to them about medical device, I know all the terminology to use. Like I know what a PMA product is versus a 510K product. I know about how all the copy is, is, um, scrutinized by regulatory groups and all that stuff. I, so I can, I can really talk their language. So I felt like I reached a point where I didn't have to have this just one single focus. Yeah. And, and I think your difference too, is that you had already, you had serious momentum by that point. You know, I think I when did. you have momentum, you can take chances like that. Um, and, and I think it, you can make it work. And if they don't work, you know, you can still pivot fairly easily. So, so t yeah. tell me a little bit about the, uh, cause I'm curious, how did this evolve this, uh, uh, from medical devices to author speakers, coaches, and then you have a project specialty too, that's kind of different and separate from all this, which is the, the messaging piece. So tell us about both and how they, how they came about. Well, I'll, I'll tell you about the messaging piece first, cause it came first back when I was, uh, at mentor corporation. I had a really, really smart intern. I was trying to get her position made full time. Her name was Michelle Littlejohn. It's now Michelle Littlejohn Green. And she is the VP of creative development or creative director at a, uh, a medical device ad agency in San Francisco. I had her, so I had her just out of college. She was extremely bright. And no matter how much work I gave her, she'd get it all done by two o'clock in the afternoon. And to, I, I said, you know, to make you full time, you got to play ball a little bit and slow down because it looks like I don't need you full time. So I came up with the idea for this project that would keep her just insanely busy. And uh, this is like in the mid 90s. So you didn't have PDF files. You didn't have cloud storage. You couldn't put all this information on a little thumb drive, a lot of storage. And, uh, you know, we'd store still store information for products. Still, a lot of it was hard copy. So I had her create these large binders that I called copy platforms for each of our products. And it included print materials, competitor materials, then also some of the copy we had written for their products. And uh, to keep her even more busy, I said, you know, compile all the messaging we've written for these products in one central document. And we'll also be proactive and write more messaging so that when new assignments come up, we've got a good starting point. So I just did all that to keep her really busy and it worked. When I started my own business, um, I started working. I was on the phone one day with a client who was scattered like, well, we, we got this new product and we, we can't really decide what materials we're going to do yet. But we know we need to write a lot of stuff about it. We don't know if we're going to have a web page or printed bird stuff. And I've thought back to that copy platform, the middle part of it, where we wrote, you know, kind of housed all the central messaging for the product. And so while I'm on the phone with this client, I said, well, it sounds like you need at a minimum, you need a nice messaging platform. You need um, all your key messages about this product written in a nice central document, key messages, you know, in a copy platform, you need a key message copy platform. And I sold them to him for like 300 bucks a page or 200 bucks a page at the time and kind of created that product on the spot based on what I went through with my intern. And that was 14 years ago. Now I sell them all the time. I'm this oil and gas company, that's the product I'm doing for them as a key message copy platform at 350 bucks a page. Yeah. And it's going to be like 10 pages. So that's great. I just, yeah. I invented that. And uh, it's a great product for if you're working and I'll give you another quick example. 
you know, as a B2B copywriter, when you're just starting out, you may be contacted by a company and they want a sales letter and a brochure and some web pages. They got these things for you, but they kind of seem a little scattered and disorganized. But they say to you, but we have a limited budget. So they ask you to write all those pieces at a rate that would be like 25% less than you want to charge. What I do in those situations is as I, I, I would say, you know, it's not, we, we, you have a limited budget, so it doesn't sound like you can afford to have me write all these different pieces. But if you can only afford to hire me for one thing, let's do a key message copy platform. You're going to have all your cent central messaging in one document. Once completed, you can use that uh, copy platform as a springboard for then writing your website copy, your sales letters, uh, and all your other collateral pieces. So now I'm driving in them into one uh, central document, and I, it's like my vehicle that I'm controlling. I'm getting a good fee for that product. They're getting a good value because they're getting a lot of messaging, and I don't have to deal with discounting my prices on all these individual pieces. That's great. <laughs> I've done something similar, and where it's really helped me is uh, with uh, website refresh. Uh, a lot yeah. of the projects that I've done with a website refresh were basically overhauling everything. And th typically at this point, my client is just re-messaging anyway. So this is something that I would have to do somehow, maybe internally. But by kind of formalizing it and creating a, a tangible deliverable, I've been able to create a project out of it. Um, exactly. And, and yeah. it's, it's, those are the ones where I usually can sell the idea fairly easily. So Yeah. But it sounds like I need to bring up my prices because you're doing a little better than I am with it. <laughs> well, you know, I make up my – for that project, I, I as I'm talking to clients, I get a feel for what I can charge. And like I was with this oil and gas company. It's oil and gas, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> a lot Very of, low I, margin. <laughs> I usually get 300 bucks a page now, and I've done some for 250 a page. Because I can write them rapidly. Because as you know, if you have to write a one-page sales letter, you write more than a page. And then a big part of what you do is you have to trim back and edit, correct? Yeah. Key message copy, if you're doing a template, you don't have to. You go, you write that page and a half. You can keep, you know, you don't have to trim back. Yeah. So you can, once you get your information together, you can write them pretty rapidly. So that, let's say a 10-page copy platform at 300 bucks a page Usually a project, you know, I'll spend about 10 hours on that project. So it's 3000 bucks. It's 300 bucks an hour. Not bad. So if you have to scale it back to 250 a page or something, you can still say I'm getting, I'm doing one for an author right now for $200 a page. And I'm still going to make about 200 bucks an hour. That's peanuts, man. 200 bucks an hour. Come on, 300. <laughs> I know. Well, this oil <laughs> and gas company, while I was meeting with them, they says, well, and I was meeting with them in person because they're only like five minutes from where I live. And uh, they go, well, what, what's the rate for this copy platform? And, and I'll first, the little voice in my head said, this is an oil and gas company. And oil and gas is really big here in uh, Denver. So I know they, they're flowing with money. I go, well, 350 a page. And they just, oh, okay, sure. Good for you. Good yeah. For you. So just on the spot, I raised my price 50 bucks a page and they took it. Tell me a little bit about the other one, the, um, the author, speakers, and coaches. Author How did that come about? Because that one's really kind of out there. Yeah, how that came about is a, a, a guy who does design work for me. His name's Nick Zellinger. He lives two miles from me. Really cool guy. Whenever I do a special report or, you know, a new, re redo my logo or whatever, he's the guy who does it for me. His business is he specializes in doing uh, book covers and doing the inside layout of books by self-published authors. So he said that's what he does all day long. So he'd always say, yeah, I'm working with these authors. And one of the things he'd always say to me is, you know, I'm going to start sending some of these guys your way because none of these guys, when I do the back book cover, they can't write the sales copy for it. They write – it's all – it's just paragraphs like their book. It's They don't know how to write headlines and subheads and bullet points. So he referred a couple people to me, and then he told me he was in this group called Author You which is a national organization for authors and a lot of speakers and coaches. And it's based here in Denver. So just by chance, about a year and a half ago, I, I, I invested $700 to be an exhibitor 
And uh, I had a banner by my little table and and my banner just said, I write marketing materials that sell books. And I had a lot of authors come to me, but bigger than that, I had consulting firms who worked with authors on bestseller campaigns Mm -hmm. come to me and say, you know, we have design, we offer design, we have, but we don't have a good copywriter to work with. And so Uh I just picked up a ton of business in the last year and a half. I mean, a ton from a couple of big consulting firms who do bestseller campaigns for self-published authors. Because what I found out was a lot of authors, especially nonfiction, they're sub, you know, they can write a book about something in which they're a subject matter expert, but they don't know anything about writing a promotional web page or a sales sheet or back book cover. You know, they, they don't know how to write those promotional materials. And if they're an author, speaker, coach who has a book, but they're also doing information products. They don't know how to write a landing page for, you know, their information products. So that has just, I just kind of fell into that niche because of my friend, Nick. And I'm kind of, you know, kind of becoming the go-to guy in that little niche. So I just kind of fell into that. And it's been very rewarding because a lot of these, a, a lot of the author, speakers, coaches that I work with are really good people who are really trying to, help people and kind of make an impact in the world in their own little way. So, you know, they're a lot of fun to work with. And for the ones I work with through consultants, the consultants send me the work. So I'm not having to market to all these individual little people, but I'm getting work funneled through me right now through about three consultants who give me a lot of work. And then I also do pick up individual authors and speakers and coaches on my own. Man, that's great. Yeah. Cause I, I can, I can tell you love the variety right? Of working yeah. with different types of clients. It's not the same thing over and over again. And this goes to a point that I, it's kind of a recurring theme here in the show and in my training programs is what I call follow the flow. You know, I think it's, it's fine to follow formulas in, in many times, especially when you're starting out, you need structure, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you don't know what you don't know. So you're just kind of following uh, you know, a written plan, but it's very important that even at that early stage and definitely once you progress in your business, just follow that flow, man. Let things kind of take you because yeah. if you're not open-minded, um, I mean, that's a recipe for for really failure. And, and, and it, best case, stagnation. Your business will just stall. And, you know, sometimes you just got to take some chances. And if it feels oh, yeah. right, you know, maybe a little scary, but it feels right, test it, you know, and, and see what happens. I, I mean, I, I don't know of anyone who's successful in this business who didn't do that to a certain extent. And I think in your case, it's very clear. You got to, you said, you know, that's a big thing with me. Go with the flow. You know, you've got to, you know, you got to go with your gut a little bit and you're in that inner voice, your intuition, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, and if, if you really want to go a certain direction, you have to just try to figure out a way to put it together. And sometimes you don't know, how you're going to do it, but if you feel strongly about it, you know you're going to get there. The example I give is, you know, if you had a drive from Denver to New York City, but you can only drive at night, do you think you can get there? And everybody would say, well, of course I can get there. But you're driving at night when it's dark, you got your headlights on, but you can only see 200 feet in front of you at a time. But you're confident you're going to get to your destination. So, I think sometimes if you have a good feel of, I want to go this direction, you don't have to have all the answers about exactly how you're going to get there. You don't have to see the whole thing completely. It's okay to just see 200 feet in front of you and and just knowing you're going to get there. And things start, a lot of times, come together in ways you wouldn't otherwise expect. I love it. I love it. So this this has been fantastic, man. And you know, before before I let you go... Uh, how can listeners learn more about you or where can they contact you? Where, where, where can I send them? You know, the best place is my website, caseydemchak.com, which is C-A-S-E-Y-D-E-M-C-H-A-K. Or a real simple way to get there is if you just type Casey Copy, C-A-S-E-Y-C-O-P-Y, Casey Copy into your browser, it'll flip you right over to my Casey Demchak website. That's great. That's great. Well, Casey, thanks again, man. This has uh, been a fascinating conversation. You've, you've shared a lot with us here, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, to talk with us today. Ed, it was my pleasure. I had a lot of fun, and 
you know, if I could tell anything to your your viewers out there or your listeners is if you want to get going as a copywriter, just really get focused, take a lot of inspired actions, believe you deserve success because you do and just go for it. Well, there you go, folks. I told you this was going to be a great talk. I hope you got a ton out of it. I know we ran a little bit over than we usually do, but you know what? This is such great information. I wanted to get as much out of Casey as possible because this man is just full of knowledge, full of great insights, and uh, he really knows what he's talking about. So I um, I hope you, you got a lot from it, and I would love to hear your comments and feedback in the comment section. I wanted to remind you that you can grab the detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 57. And I have a quick announcement for you. I'm about to open enrollment for the first time in five months to my group training and coaching program, B2B Business Launcher. So if you're a new or aspiring B2B writer, copywriter, or commercial writer, or if you've already launched your B2B writing business, but maybe you're not really happy with your progress, then you should really check this out. In this program, I'll take you from where you are today to having an amazing website, a great message, a solid prospecting plan, and possibly even a client or two within 10 weeks. And it's not just about getting that first client or two, it's about getting real momentum so that your business actually takes off. You'll have great momentum going into 2015, you'll have a proven plan and a solid foundation on which to continue to build your business. So if the idea of being in business with a paying client by this November sounds attractive to you, stay tuned for the announcement on August 25th. That's Monday, August 25th. And if you're not on my mailing list, but you'd like to be notified the moment I open enrollment for that program, visit b2blauncher.com forward slash waiting. You'll be able to get on that waiting list, on that early notification list right there. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Again, I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.